I want you to cut it short today so we can get out of here and go see some things that I think are, are uh, important to see and to examine some evidence. Uh, so I'd like to get a, an early start so we can take in as much as we possibly can. So let's meet as quickly as we can after services right here in front of the hall. We can gather up here and then convoy out the back way uh, together. Grab a map if you want to. Uh, I have a lunch pack myself and I've got to run home and change, get into some more appropriate for uh, up in the mountains clothes and I'll be back over. It probably won't take me more than 10-15 minutes. I don't know about you. Uh, if you didn't have a lunch ready, uh, you might grab a bite. Uh, we will end up coming back down through Hurricane, I mean uh, Cedar City and Hurricane, so if it's late in the day and you need to stop for a dinner or something, then it is, it is available along there as well, because I think this will take most of the daylight time to get done and to do, to do it right. Much to see, and I think there's a great deal of meaning involved, and it's, it's a help in uh, the study we're doing on where the real Jerusalem is and where the real promised land is, uh, so evidence to consider, uh, among a lot of other things, of course. Okay, if I'm going to shut up in time, I better get started. And we won't have a long prologue. Let's go to Psalm 3 and just get in it. He says here, Eternal, how are they increased that trouble me? Remember that these, especially this first book or two of Psalms, is about man and from the perspective of a human being here on the earth, and the troubles that we face, the difficulties in life, the trouble with relationships with other human beings, and so on. And, of course, he was in the position of a king. And any time you're in that kind of a position of leadership, uh, you don't please all the people all the time by any means. And uh, he couldn't and didn't, and even had a lot of family troubles. His sons even plotted to kill him, and one of his sons uh, took his wives, and, you know, all kinds of things happened in that kingdom. And here was a man of God who was fighting through all these difficulties that life had. Now, you know, by comparison, in many ways, uh, the worst thing we have is pink toothbrush. Uh, when you look at the troubles he had, it's more like cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and whatever else thrown in. Uh, looking at a physical human body. But, of course, these are mental and emotional and governmental problems he was wrestling with, as well as the hatred of different people. So it was a heavy burden on him, and uh, we have our little spats and difficulties with friends, relatives, families, and so on, but we need to take it in stride and realize that even though he had more of it, when we read of it here, we can put our own lives in perspective and realize that emotionally we have the same difficulties. You may not have as many people that hate you or have trouble with you, but you probably have some, or some that don't like you or hold grudges or just, you know, there can be a plethora of things that, that cause us argita. Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. They look at David and say, even God couldn't help him. 
Now that's how upset they were at times with David and some of the things and attitudes that he had to face in dealing with Israel. Then it says, Selah. Now I was taught, as were you probably in Worldwide decades ago, that that means Petra. And everywhere you see Selah in Psalms and in the Bible, that it's talking of the rock or Petra. I don't know exactly how that got started, but I looked it up, did a little research, and I find that that word right there doesn't mean rock. It doesn't refer to Petra whatsoever. It is number 5541, or no, 5542 in the King James. And the word means to suspend the music or to pause. Uh, it comes from 5541, which means to hang up or to weigh, and it's used in the King James in terms of to uh, trade, tread down underfoot or to value. So you hang up meat to weigh it, you check the value, and that's what this expression actually means, is stop the music a minute and think about this. I'm putting it in modern English, but that's what the word actually means. Now there is another word, which is 5554, which is only used two times in the Bible, never used in the Psalms. Uh, it's spelled Sela, S-E-L-A, it's in 2 Kings 14.7, and it was a town. Now, they say that it is the rock city of Idumea, which could be Petra. Uh, that's a possibility, but it's a totally different word than is used in the Psalms, and only used two times. The other place it's used is in Isaiah 16.1, where it says, Go from Selah, the town, to the wilderness. And I'm even beginning to wonder if that also is not a counterfeit based on this thought. It says it goes from Selah to the wilderness. Well, I've been to Petra, and you're in the wilderness. I saw a camel out there on the way from the Gulf of Aqaba up to Petra and that drive through across the desert, and I don't know what that thing ate. There's nothing out there. Maybe every half mile or so you see a little sprig of a bush somewhere. Maybe it's evolved and it eats sand now. I don't know. But you're already in the wilderness. Maybe that wouldn't even be called a wilderness. Maybe, maybe that's just roaring desert. And you have to go from there to a wilderness that isn't as bad. I don't know. But when it says go from Selah to the wilderness, uh, I scratch my head and say, man, I was, that was as much a wilderness as I've ever been yet, I think, was right there in southern Jordan. Or southern Israel looks about the same. Anyway, that was used as one of the primary proofs that the church used years and years ago to show that Petra was a place of safety because of saying that uh, multitudes of times in the Psalms. And upon examination, it doesn't say that at all. And it doesn't, nothing in that word has anything to do with a rock or that town or that place. 
So it's a pause for emphasis. Well, it's like in a song we sing. You have the hold sign where you hold the note, and then you stop, and then you go on. So that's, that's what the word means in the Psalms. And it would fit right here. Where is my help? There is no help for him in God. That's a powerful statement, powerful thought. Stop and think about that a moment. Is there or isn't there? His enemy said not even God could help him. But he continues, But you, O Eternal, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. So when we find ourselves beaten down and troubled, David says, I can turn to God. Whether they say there's no hope in him for me or not, I believe there is. So if they call us a cult or whatever, or deride us, some of the wacky things that we've come to see in Scripture itself, uh, don't pay any attention. God knows. God knows what he's shown. Is his word true or is it not? If we find things that are inconsistent with things we believed in the past, then do we believe what we heard in the past, or do we believe what the Scripture actually says? It astounded me when I looked up the word Selah and found out it wasn't what somebody had always told me it was, for instance. Uh, maybe somebody <laughs> was doing research, and they picked that one spot where it meant rock. I don't know. Uh, or those two, in Kings or Isaiah, or simply read a Protestant commentary where somebody had made that connection. I think that's the likely source of where that began, because it became uh, that the hot spot for the place of safety was over in Petra. And uh, when you really look into the Psalms and go through, and, and the whole Bible really, and see where the place of refuge is, it isn't there. It is in Zion and Jerusalem, Zion in particular, ultimately. Anyway, God is there to lift up his head. I cried to the Eternal with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Again, pause and think. Everybody said God couldn't help David, but David said God did help me. He heard me. You know, sometimes we think about that, don't we? Is God hearing me or is God not hearing me? Something to meditate on. And if he doesn't seem to be hearing me, then why? Ponder that. <clears throat> I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Eternal sustained me. People were telling about my death, but I went to bed, I went to sleep, and actually I woke up. Can you believe that? Life's not quite as bad as I thought it was. God allowed him to sleep. Sometimes we have trouble sleeping when we're as troubled as David was here. But he said he gives his people rest and sleep in another place. God sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. So he found courage and strength in God that it doesn't matter if tens of thousands of people come against me. All I need is God. He'll take care of me. That's a nice mental feeling and attitude to have, isn't it? When you feel secure in God and know 
that he is going to hear, he's going to listen, he's going to deliver. Now, sometimes the attitudes have about us, or people have about us, are deserved, aren't they? Well, there's where we have to correct ourselves and ask forgiveness of God and man and then accept and expect that it will be given. And then we move forward from there. And if human beings don't forgive us, then God will. So we can be secure in him because his mercy endures forever, which we'll get to eventually. So he says, Arise, O Eternal, save me. O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Just overnight, I don't think all his enemies died or had their jaws broken. But in his mind and attitude and approach, the threat, the feelings of insecurity and fear went away. It's like God had maybe metaphorically broken all their jaws where they couldn't talk against him because it wasn't hurting him anymore. He had found rest in his Creator, so he didn't worry about it anymore. Salvation belongs to the Eternal. Your blessing is upon your people. Think about that one. Pause for a moment. His blessing is upon his people. Now, we as a people today have been in trouble with God, but he says he will turn his face back to us when we turn to him with our hearts. And he hasn't forgotten us. He says, I'm going to ignore you for a short while, and then I'll turn back to you. But he is trying to get a reaction from us, a desirable one. Psalm 4, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. You've come in, enlarged me, I think, is from the standpoint of I was feeling small and beaten down and weak and worthless, and you've made me feel larger and more powerful and stronger. You've, you've enlarged the way I feel. O oh, you sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love vanity and seek after lying? A better translation, King James says leasing doesn't mean anything today, but it means lying, untruth, deceit, and falsehood. That's what the word means. But know that the eternal is set apart, him that is godly, for himself. The eternal will hear when I call to him. We're in the same position that he was here. God had set David aside. He had sanctified him and anointed him as king of all Israel. And he has set us aside and anointed us as kings and priests for the world tomorrow. So we're in the same position David was in. He had, at this point, uh, inherited the kingship or been uh, made king. But uh, we have not. We have been offered the job, the responsibility, the throne, uh, and we must prepare and be ready to rule when it is given. So he, set us, he has set us aside for training as royalty. So I guess we can wear purple, as was mentioned in the sermonette. Uh, God has set us aside as royalty, and we need to act royal. <clears throat> 
Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Pause again. Think about that one. Stand in awe and sin not. Stand in awe of God. We've already heard quite a bit about the fear of God, the awe and the respect we need to have for Him. It says commune with, it, commune with your own heart upon your bed. That means you have to think and not let your heart deceive you as to what you are and who you are, but be honest with yourself. Commune with your heart, your head, on your bed. Think, in other words, meditate about the way things really are, not the way you would like them to be. I've been around a lot of people who think they're telling the truth, and they didn't really listen to what you said to them. You've probably experienced this, but they heard what they wanted to hear. They interpreted it in their mind the way they wanted it to be. So then when they went and mentioned it to someone else, it didn't come out at all like you said it, but as it went through that head, something happened to it. So he says, think about your course of action, your thoughts, your patterns, the way you do things, and be sure that you act and react with the awe of God and the possibility of sinning well in your mind. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the eternal. Again, this is all from the standpoint of a human being on the earth who's having trouble dealing with life. Once we're in the kingdom of God, we won't have that trouble anymore. No tears, no pain, no sorrow, uh, no end of life, no insecurities, no negativity whatsoever. So we need to be purging negativity out of our minds now and thinking positively about ourselves and about others. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the eternal. He is the only one we can truly trust. It says trust no man. Now we trust each other to some degree. But your entire trust, your lease on life, you have to put in God's hands. You know, you might trust a human being with ten bucks. You might trust a human being with a hundred bucks. You might trust some human beings with a million bucks. I don't know how far you can take that. But, uh, you know, you can put a certain amount of belief in the character, the personality of people, but you always have to be careful because you're liable to get burned. But you'll never get burned by God. Now, you may face adversity and difficulties, but it won't be because he doesn't have your best interests in mind. He always does. Sometimes your best interest is correction and chastening. Sometimes it's blessing. It just depends on the circumstance and what he feels you need to learn or what encouragement or inspiration you might need at the moment, because he sets you aside for success. And therefore, he's going to do with you what is necessary to bring you ultimate success, even though it might hurt at times. Trust that. Put your life in God's hands. Every aspect of our lives, ultimately, we need to learn to put in his hands. That's what true believing faith is all about. 
You know, whether I live or whether I die is not a big deal. Truly. Now, it is to us because this physical life's all we have. And we don't want to turn loose of it. And that creates all kinds of attitude and, and belief problems for us. But is it, is it such a big deal that we die? I look at it this way. I belong to God. I was baptized. I committed my life to Him. I vowed that I would live His way. And I've had trouble doing that. I scratch gravel every day to have the right attitude, say the right things, and fail often. But my commitment is there, and I work at it every day, as do you. So we have to be able to turn loose and say, God, I'm yours, do with me as you please. But we find all different ways of taking care of ourselves, and certainly we are supposed to take care of ourselves in a right way. But we should learn to have faith and trust in the almighty living God. If we can't trust him, what hope is there? He will do what is best for us in whatever facet of life we are discussing. Now, that is easily said, that is easily believed. That is not easily followed because we grapple with ourselves, our psyches, our emotions, our feelings, our wants, needs, and desires. So put your trust in the eternal. There be many, verse 6, that say, who will show us any good? Who's going to take care of you humanly? Kind of hard to depend on human beings to take care of us, you know. They will, to some degree, but they don't know all our needs, they don't know all our wants, they don't know all our desires, they don't know all our feelings, and we walk all over each other all the time. Eternal, lift you up, the light of your counsel or countenance upon us. Uh, the, the glow of humans fades easily, but God's is there, and we need it on us. You have put gladness in my heart, more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. We can have physical wealth, we can have many things, but the joy from within that can only truly come from God is what really counts. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for you, eternal, only make me dwell in safety. We can build high fences, we can have guns and dogs, we can have fancy alarm systems, and there are people on the earth who've spent millions and millions of dollars for security and bulletproof cars and all kinds of things, but they can be gotten to. But if our trust is entirely upon God, it doesn't really matter if the door is locked or not, because he is able to take care of us and to make us dwell in safety. Now, I know that living out in this exposed valley, we are sitting ducks, okay? I know that planning and zoning, Mojave County, or the state of Arizona, or the federal government can decide that we need to be Waco'd at any time. They can do that. 
But do we have the kind of faith and trust and belief in God that he will take care of us through whatever troubles come? And if we are doing what he tells us in Zechariah 2, he will put a wall of fire around us eventually and a covert from the heat. He says he will. Somebody asked me one time, well, where is that? Don't need it yet. Why would God provide something we don't yet need? But I believe when the time comes, when there's a showdown between us and whatever government entity comes after us, whether it be the U.S. government or whether it be our new bosses that are coming soon from overseas, it doesn't matter. God will take care of us. We need to believe that. And as we obey God and serve Him and draw closer to Him, then our belief in that will get stronger. They put Peter in prison, didn't they? And everybody was home praying for poor Peter. And God let him out of prison. And he came and knocked on the door. And they, the girl said, Peter's here. And they says, oh, shut up. He is not. He's in jail. Let's pray. Pray why? If there's no expectation of prayer being answered, why bother? See how our minds can play tricks on us. That God can make us dwell in safety. Now, he delivered Paul many times. Shipwreck, snake bite, on and on and on. And then it was time for Paul to die, and God delivered him, as I recall the story, on his way to die once. And then when he got to Rome, they killed him eventually. But God had appointed the time and the place for Paul's death, and it was not a natural death of old age, nor, nor were any of the apostles save John. But did God bless them? Did God hear their prayers? Oh, yes, he did. But then it was time in his mind that they die. So they went willingly to the death, just as Christ had set the example for them. Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O eternal. Consider my meditation. This is one of the hymns that we have in our book. Hearken to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you will I pray. In spite of all our troubles as humans, this is the direction to go. Hearken to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto you will I pray. My voice shall you hear in the morning, O eternal. In the morning will I direct my prayer to you and will look up. There's the way to start your day. Talk to God before you really get going into the day. Because He can give you the help, the support, the positive attitude, the right outlook, and you can be looking up instead of down and around at all the problems you have. Because He can help answer those problems. For you are not a God that has pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with you. Remember he said in the holy city comes down uh, that the liars and cheats and thieves and sinners will not be allowed in there. He's not going to e dwell with evil. We will not be allowed in that temple as part of the bride unless we have overcome the evil in our natures. 
Now, the argument has been that uh, everybody would either be changed to spirit or be thrown into the lake of fire by the time the earth was burned up after the great white throne judgment because God the Father would not dwell with evil, so he wouldn't come down here until all men are dead. Well, that argument doesn't hold because God seems like he's a long way away in the sides of the north, but his universe contains a great deal of evil. And the whole universe is his, you know, the earth is his footstool. The whole universe is his playground. And he, for the time being, whether he's right here or not, he is dwelling with evil. He just doesn't let it to his throne. Oh, wait a minute. Satan goes to his throne daily to accuse you and me, doesn't he? So God tolerates evil even in his presence for the time being. So that argument simply doesn't fly. Because he says even when the new Jerusalem comes down, those who are evil and sinners will not be allowed inside. So he's going to put a stop fairly soon to Satan going to his throne and cast into the earth and say, don't come back up here. But he's dwelling with evil now. And he can come with the sun and set up the new Jerusalem here on this earth with the bride. And he will not allow evil inside the throne, Satan or man, or inside the city, but it will still be on the outside. And all flesh will go up to worship him in the new heaven and the new earth. I keep coming back to that because this is a critical time at the Feast of Tabernacles when we've always understood the kingdom of God will be set up on the earth in a thousand years of peace. But we need to grasp and understand that the Father and the Son and the Bride will be the ones doing the ruling. And the Father and the Son will give the light of the temple. There's no temple in it at that point because they are it. Now, where was I here? Looking up in the morning, verse 4 of chapter 5. For you are not a God that has pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with you. So that is a prophecy that all evil will eventually be put out. So Satan has to go, and if we are evil, we have to go. He'll chain Satan apparently forever in the blackness and darkness where he is not around and cannot. Somehow, even his thought pattern and his spirit, mind, and attitude will be sealed so that he has no effect on anyone in the universe. And human beings who do not qualify for the kingdom of God will simply be burned up and forgotten. The foolish shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. So, yeah, this is a process. It takes time. But ultimately, he's going to accomplish this. So it is a prophecy of the future. You shall destroy them that speak lying. The eternal will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, now, this is all around me, he says. And David, at times, was deceitful and lying himself and committed every sin I guess there is. But it wasn't his approach and attitude toward life. It wasn't his way of living. It was the aberration of his human nature that led him to do things he shouldn't do. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. 
So he's recognizing here that he had problems and needed mercy, and he had these people that were doing evil all around him, but that wasn't his goal and his purpose. And he's, he's saying, if I do wrong, I'm going to come and seek your mercy, but I'm coming to the house of God anyway, because I know I need God. And in your fear will I worship toward your holy temple. So he says, lead me, O eternal, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. Couldn't you and I, when we're having trouble praying and concentrating, turn back to Psalm 5 or pick a psalm somewhere? Because they come with all different types of moods and attitudes, as we'll see as we go through here. The, the things that go through a person's mind. Sometimes you're inspired and strengthened and you want to pray. Sometimes you're down and discouraged and frustrated and need uh, help, security, uh, inspiration, encouragement, whatever. If you're having trouble expressing those things, just get on your knees, open to some of these psalms, and say, Father, I don't know what to say. Make this prayer my prayer, because these are my feelings too. I feel just like David did when he wrote this. So it helps you concentrate or focus toward what you need. Lead me, O Eternal, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my we read that. Verse 9, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Quite Christ quoted that in part to the Pharisees. It's amazing how many quotes from the Old Testament are found in the New Testament. In fact, I've, I've read, I think, that about a third of the New Testament is quotes from the Old Testament. Maybe not direct quotes, but the, the content and some of the words are the same. Destroy you them, O Eternal. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. Now, to me, over the years, some of these prayers have seemed kind of harsh, because Christ said, love your enemies and do good to those that despitefully use you and persecute you. And here David is saying, rain down violence and kill them. How do we put that together? Well, he was in a little different era in one sense, in that they were able to war and go to war. They were able to kill uh, he was able to uh, execute enemies in his kingdom. And yet, on the other hand, isn't that a long-term prophetic approach? In other words, God, if there are people around who've dedicated their life to evil and hate and resentment and bitterness, take care of it. Get rid of it. Don't we all hope that is the case? ultimately, that he help us get rid of any resentment, animosity, bitterness, negativity that we have in our systems and minds and hearts and emotions, and that ultimately, everyone who does not get rid of those goes into the lake of fire and they're gone, because we don't need that. The universe doesn't need that. Satan and his demons have lots of that. And they're going to be sealed away and never heard from again, apparently. And any of us who do not make the conversion to the right kind of thinking patterns will also be destroyed. 
So in a way, that is our prayer, isn't it? That all negativity and all discouragement and doubt and fear and anger and bitterness be put away. Boy, I'd like to get it all out of me just as fast as possible. Because it isn't much fun. But we change slowly, don't we? Generally. Except under great heat and pressure. Then we can change faster. So is it any wonder that God is putting a lot of heat and pressure on us? <laughs> you know? That, 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 well, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. You just have to be willing to look at things honestly and see that, you know, God wants us to change, and the quicker we do it, the better off we'll be and blessings can return. So he says, well, stoke it up a little. Put the pressure on. Through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. But if people are adamant and hard-headed against God's way, which most people on the earth are, the heat's really going to be turned up, and they are, for the most part, all going to be destroyed. Over 90% of the population. Even Satan and the New World Order have that figure in mind. But God says that's what's going to happen. And maybe he'll let them do it in his behalf so that the rest will fear, hear and fear and will be humble enough and teachable enough to start a thousand-year millennium of peace. Consider the history of Israel and how you'd have a good king, bad king, good king, bad king. And it went up and down and up and down, sometimes two bad ones in a row, but uh, it was really up and down. And with the rule of man, it can be that way. Oh, the Republicans are in, now we're going to have a good time. Oh, mercy sakes alive, now the Democrats are in, we're going to have a good time. And it's all turning into a bad time. It doesn't matter what party they are. Because human beings are greedy and selfish and unfocused and do not have anybody else's best interests truly in mind. So it's up and down, and we go from fascism to socialism to communism to democracy and back to socialism to fascism where we are today. And there's no evenness, there's no consistency. That's why he wants us to have character and be godly and be eternal so that we can rule for a thousand years without all the ups and downs because we have everybody's best interest in mind. We want to do good to them. We want to teach them right. We can correct them and say, oh, nope, not that way. Walk this way when they start to do something wrong. And we can give consistent good judgment always to everyone. What an incredible thing that will be. So we need to be developing that kind of character and consistency and control so that we can give that kind of rule and government. So he says, lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. Uh, destroy them, verse 10, verse 11, but let all those that put their trust in you rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because you've defended them. Let them also that love you or that love your name be joyful in you. So he says, 
Cast the wicked aside and let those who do want to obey you and serve you live in peace and blessing. That's a good prayer. For you, eternal, will bless the righteous. With favor will you compass him as with a shield. Now there's some really good reasoning or a reason to serve God. Because he holds all blessings in his hand. He can give us anything we wish, from a good night's sleep to whatever we need, or even someday want. The only limit, really, to God blessing us, even now, is us. We can't handle blessing very much. That's the way human beings are. When we receive good things and blessings from above, then we tend to forget the one who gave us the blessing. We tend to enjoy the blessing and forget the blessor. So he's limited. He can only bless us here and there a little because we don't have the character to handle it. We get sidetracked and out of focus so very easily. And that's why he's having to put the church through what we're going through right now is we can't handle and couldn't handle the blessings that he gave us even in worldwide. Great numbers of people being called, huge income, we got slack, we misused, we abused, we overlorded. All kinds of evil cropped up because we couldn't handle the good times. Now we're going through the bad times. And in that, his whole and express purpose is to turn us around and turn our hearts back to him so that he can bless us again. And he says he's going to. He says we will return to him early that we're not going to hold out beyond a certain point. So, hey, when are we giving in? <laughs> when are we giving up ourselves and turning to him wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, three-quarter-heartedly? But our entire attention, our entire dependency, our entire trust and faith is in the Almighty with every aspect of our lives. Where we say, here I am, I belong to you. Your son bought me with his blood. How can I take that back to myself? Well, preacher, you're going to shut up now. We got down to Psalm 6. I'm going to go ahead and quit early. We'll be out of here by noon. And those of us taking the trip and tour and so on can as quickly as possible, get ourselves together.